from the West Coast, the East Coast, and deep in the heart of Texas, it's the Geek at Arms podcast with Brian, Mike, and James. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Geek at Arms podcast, a podcast about three guys who share a lot of geeky hobbies and also a love for the Lord our God. I'm James, and hanging out with me, as always, are my buds, Mike and Brian. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good. I'm faring pretty well. Glad to hear it. No love for your co-host, apparently. <laughs> oh, and how are you, James? How are you, James? Well, um... <laughs> A little less I'm... love for the co-host, Mike. It's <laughs> all right. That's what I expect from him. I'm, uh, I'm doing all right. I'm having a bit of an interesting day. Got up, you know, fed the kids, let the dog outside. And, oh, um, there was a spaceship on my yard. A spaceship? Yeah, well, not unusual. just... Not just any spaceship. It was a a, a time ship. And uh, so I really need to ask you guys a question. In the last episode, how many times did we mention the Retro Rewind podcast? Oh, shoot. We said Retro Rewind three times, didn't we? Did we? Yeah. I think yeah. we did. Yeah, you're not supposed to do that. It's like Beetlejuice. So what, just by saying Retro Rewind podcast three that times. That was the third time. <sighs> Whoa, yeah, whoa, that'll do it. Whoa, 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 whoa. Where, where, where? Oh. Uh, last thing I remember, we we're going in a black hole. Paul, did you fix that? That was a kick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. Hey, Brian, Mike, and oh, James, what are you back. guys doing here? Hey, what do you mean? What are we doing here? This is our podcast now. What are you guys doing here? Oh, oh, oh. Well, you're welcome for us dropping you off at your home. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right, guys. Uh, Paul, uh, Francisco, yes. thank you for the ride. And of course, may I say, welcome to Geek at Arms. Whoa. Yes. Some nice digs you have here. I like this. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Of yeah, course. Thank you so much for inviting us. Absolute pleasure. Uh, I should say, pleasure. summoning us. <laughs> <laughs> it is a pleasure to have you guys on the show. It was the least we could do for uh, you, so courteously having us on yours. And uh, while we figure out the uh, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey of it all, uh, well, first off, tell us who you guys are and tell us about your podcast as if anyone who listens to ours doesn't already know. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll go first. I'm pauljpowers.com, and I'll let Francisco take the rest. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a website. My name is Francisco Ruiz, uh, and me and Paul and a rotating guest, or sometimes in the case of Geek at Arms, uh, three guests, will uh, we host the Retro Rewind podcast where we take a look at movies and games that are 15 years or older and talk about the things we like, don't like, and whether or not they're still worth revisiting today. Excellent. So, uh, as is custom with our show, any guests we have, we let them have first shot at Geek Out. So, Francisco, Paul, what have you guys been geeking out to recently? Well, first of all, I'd like to do a correction from your previous episode. Somebody mentioned, while covering Superman 3, you mentioned that there was no good thing about Superman 3. And I just got to say you're wrong, sir. There are at least two good things about Superman 3. One Christopher is Reeve that classics. And Christopher Reeve. Okay. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Clark Kent versus Superman. That whole battle, that is excellent. That scene right there I think is fantastic. Other people can disagree. But also the plot. That plot of like the compute not not like, oh, like the computer is like trying to beat Superman. No, but to use a computer software to 
basically steal little bits of money from the, the a company has been copied so many times since then that okay so it's office it space came. the movie with guest star christopher yes. reeve i mean <laughs> yeah, that doesn't office make space it a good thing stole from this yeah i would watch anyway. that film <laughs> <laughs> so there's at least two good things about superman 3 so, i'm moving like on. you know what here's the thing though that fight now is now available on youtube and yeah. a five-minute scene does not a good movie make. But anyway, my opinion. My opinion only. <laughs> All right. So please continue. Hey, I loved out- that film. Uh, yeah. I actually, I haven't, well, I haven't seen it. And I, just, I just felt like I, I, somebody needed to have you on their and if you want to find out more about Superman 3, go all the way back to Retro Rewind Podcast's very first episode where we cover more. Anyway, um, and check out our most recent episode to capture all our reviews on Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. So uh, something that I've been geeking out lately, kind of, is uh, uh, have you guys, I know some of you watch anime. Um, mm-hmm. Have you seen ReZero? Have you talked about that? That show ReZero? Uh, no. I mean, no, it's, it's, been a, about it's, it. it's been on my radar at least, but I haven't had a chance to check it out yet. Okay. This is actually like a couple years old. Um, at least season one came out a few years ago. This last year they released a director's cut, and season two is actually in the middle. It's almost uh it's almost in the middle. There's like ten episodes available right now. Crunchyroll is a good place to find it. I'm not going to go into like spoilers or anything like this, but uh, it's one of the better anime series that I've seen. So um, if you like anime and if you are familiar with video games, that would help. But I recommend checking it out, at least the first episode. See if you like it. So put that on your list. Make sure it's on your radar. And then the only other thing... (laughs) I, I, I've been doing all these binge-watching shows like you guys covered the uh, the Umbrella Academy. I've been doing all these things. When I'm not binge-watching a show, my wife and I are, are watching The Goldbergs. It's been out a while. I think, like, season eight is coming out soon. Like It's been uh, on but, that long? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But we're only, like, through season two because we watch – this is uh, – I, I know this is hard to believe, but this is an actual episodic series, not a serialized series. So <laughs> we we take it at uh, leisure and just watch one episode whenever in between. So it's if you like the 80s, there's some nice flashbacks, callbacks to it. Check it out. So that's what I've been geeking out. What's been new on my tubes lately? Awesome. Uh, for me, speaking of the 80s, I just started watching Stranger Things, which I know has been oh, out yeah. for, for several uh, years now. Yes, we several. love that one on this show. Yeah, so I'm in the middle of season three right now, so don't spoil me to any of it, but really, I'm enjoying a lot, a lot of it. But oh, Uh-oh. But it doesn't come <laughs> close to my my like crush on Cobra Kai, which is so good. <laughs> There's these shows uh. or movies <laughs> That it's like, I feel like the filmmakers like know me because they made this like for <laughs> me or something. And uh, cool. Cobra Kai is one of those shows for just for a baseline. Scott Pilgrim versus the world and Inception are two of the movies that would apply that for for me. Uh, so really enjoying uh, Stranger Things and Cobra Kai. I was Kai. trying to figure out how Cobra Kai was a combination of those two things. No, <laughs> <laughs> my brain was going boing. Uh, black hole physics. Uh, but uh, other so those are two things I'm watching, and then uh, a game. Exactly, exactly. A game that I started playing uh, 
that I used to play back in high school, which is interesting because we talked about uh, how in like films like Star Trek or what have you, the ships always seem to like come to face off at <laughs> the sides. There's no like three dimensional play. So mm. one, a game that I used to enjoy and recently got the remaster of is a game called Homeworld, where you essentially have this fleet and your every sort of uh, uh, mission you take the fleet that you have into the next mission and either lose that or build up more and you're oh, wow. perpetually trying to like grow and grow your fleet without like getting uh, uh you know destroyed uh but in that you can move in the whole three-dimensional space which is really interesting for this real-time strategy game where yeah you can like position your fighters like in on the z-axis way up high and your frigates on the z-axis way down low and like pinch or attack uh the enemies coming at you or you know to the sides or what have you and it's I'm having a lot of fun with it. It's beautiful, the remaster of it. So those are the things I'm geeking out about. I love the original trio. Who wants to go next? Well, I'm first on the list, so I guess I'll go. (laughs) Uh, I have uh, been, as I mentioned in the past, I've been playing a lot of Destiny with my my friends Yolanda and Christian. And uh, Yoli decided to start streaming on Twitch. And so figuring, uh, since my voice is going to be on there, I'm going to be like exposed to the Twitch ecosystem, I might as well look into that and start doing it myself. So I've also started streaming. Uh, Dude, you are blowing my mind right now. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Not only are you playing (laughs) Destiny, but you're... I need a moment. (laughs) Well, most of what I'm streaming is actually uh, Magic Arena. Okay, that I believe. (laughs) I've seen Magic, your Magic streams, or that you've streamed Magic. I haven't seen Destiny, but okay. Uh, Destiny usually happens pretty irregularly in the evenings it depends on when all three of us are our schedules mesh together and we can play together um, and even when we are all three playing together we don't always stream uh, but whenever we d- we're doing the the rise of iron story stuff we'll stream then uh, if you decide to f- to follow me just a content warning yolanda's got a little bit of a potty mouth so <laughs> if you're sensitive to language uh maybe give the the destiny streams a, a pass Oh, Crap. speaking of potty mouth, I, I was recommending the uh, ReZero. That has a little bit of uh, potty mouth in that and and a little bit of violence and a little bit. I, I would say it's for teens and older, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, thanks. Definitely, definitely Stranger Things and yeah. Cobra Kai are teen or older as well. Yeah. Homeworld, though, that's good for anyone. <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm Midgard 77. That's Midgard with two A's in it because I can no longer get my preferred handle of Midgard Swimmer. Thanks to Final Fantasy. Oh. Yeah. About 15 years ago. Yeah, the the name got too popular because they named a a monster after it. So if I'm not like on a a service first thing, I can't get my my username anymore. Uh, And uh, I've also occasionally started streaming Factorio, which is a uh, factory building game. It's kind of like a top-down 2D Minecraft. Hmm. It's probably it, really boring to watch. You build a factory? Is that like you build pipe a factory? Dream? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm not familiar with Pipe Dream, but you you start with like just one little miner, and then you use the miner to get ore, and you turn the ore into more miners and assemblers and so forth, and you've got it sounds like child labor. Con- I know conveyor like... belts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not miner, miner. 
<laughs> I was going to make that joke. I'm just glad that somebody beat me to the punch. <laughs> so that's what I've been geeking out to lately. I guess I'll go next. And uh, what I've been checking out lately is an anime called Brand New Animal or BNA. It's a new anime, but one of the things that's really interesting about it is that it's drawn and animated very much like the style of the 80s and early 90s anime. But it's oh, still, yeah, I mean, except it's still crisp. It's still clean. Mm -hmm. It's it's like taking the older style and bringing it, in, bringing it into a contemporary viewing audience uh, with with contemporary methods. Oh, interesting. I'll check that out. And it's, uh, yeah, the, the premise is really interesting and in that it's the idea that there are these uh, humanoid anthropomorphic animals that have been living in human society. So people, but they can transform into, say, a rhino person or a fox person. Mm -hmm. And it deals with some of the tensions that have existed between humans and what they call beast men. And mm -hmm. it's not an analog for American race relations issues, but it does tie into some concepts of prejudice and race and segregation. And the series starts with one person who is trying desperately to escape to a sanctuary city that is built just for beastmen. And she's trying to figure out new abilities and trying to figure out who she is, because as far as she was aware, she was always a human. Mm. And all of a sudden she became a, a Tanuki person. And so she can't transform back into a human. So she can't pass as human. And so she's trying to figure out this whole, whole society that she didn't know existed or didn't know it in that term, in those terms. And uh, it's interesting because there's a lot of parallels to Disney's Zootopia where there's animals having... Oh, yeah potential superpowered frenzy and how do we quote unquote treat that problem medically so uh you know it's i would also say that this is for teens there's some language and violence but it was it was fine for my 13 and 15 year old but probably not for james's little ones yeah you know you bring up zootopia and i feel like i would think the same thing when watching this is if if all the animals are and this is specifically zootopia if all the animals are aware and conscious beings um what are the carnivores eating <laughs> they're eating you james they're eating uh, you no i'm just kidding oh, so I there's no wild idea. humans just protein. roaming the plains synthetic protein. yeah yeah soy it's... business is huge in yes. <laughs> you know what's interesting green. yeah <laughs> oh, 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 oh. oh that was so wrong I'm so glad this poor here. rabbit just runs out of a building it's us it's people <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm trying to remember what they ate but you know I would I would imagine they ate animals since they're beasts yeah, and thought, not animals so i don't know i thought that was the whole thing that and i mean i haven't seen all of zootopia i've seen like the last 20 minutes or so is that the when they get frenzied then they're eating each other and that's why they're trying not to but maybe i'm misremembering i mean this is the problem with any sort of anthropomorphized issue when when you when you look at it too closely then things yeah. start to break down 
But, yeah, what do the Thundercats eat? Are they eating each other? Come on. <laughs> they're 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 eating they're eating kibble, Paul. They're yeah, eating exactly. kibble. In the theme song, Thundercats are on the move, Thundercats are loose. That's a warning. It means they're out for blood, <laughs> they're hungry. Get inside. I mean, at least in Narnia they kind of dealt with it like, oh wait, you ate a talking beast? Oh no, that is that's cannibalism. Yeah. All right, and that'll about wrap it up for me. Okay, I will uh, finish it out then. So I've been continuing to watch uh, Star Trek Lower Decks. Been continuing to enjoy it. If you guys uh, don't have a CBS All Access Pass, I don't know if it's worth it just for this one show. But I've also been enjoying Star Trek Discovery. And with more seasons of that and more Star Trek shows on the way, at the moment, it's worth it. Uh, Star Trek Lower Decks is kind of scratching that Futurama itch that I didn't realize that I had until I started watching it. Uh, still funny. Uh, I mean, so many Easter eggs are dropped every episode that it just reminds you the people who wrote this are gigantic Star Trek fans and you just kind of want to you wish you could hang out with them and make suggestions for the show. Um, in addition to that, I've been trying a new video game out lately. It's not new, new, but new to me. I downloaded Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Breakpoint. And if that sounds like a mouthful, it's because it is, because there are so <laughs> many Tom Clancy video games out there right now. Mm. And Are there? Uh, yeah, the one after this one was Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Breakdance 3D uh, Jazzercise. <laughs> <laughs> so does this one star Alec Baldwin, Harrison Ford, uh, Ben Affleck, or... Chris Pine. Or They're John all available in the DLC. That's the oh, weird thing. That's amazing. <laughs> Change skins <laughs> mid game. Is that also av- available in the zombie dance game? Because Chris Pine <laughs> as a dancing zombie is something I need in my life. <laughs> you got to pay uh, extra for that one. Yeah, it's a third person tactical shooter. It takes place on a incredibly large island with several smaller islands around it. So I was very surprised at the scope of the game. But it's got a lot going for it. The reason I got it is because it's a game that I kind of view also as uh, social time. Uh, I had some friends on Xbox Live who were playing it, and there have been games in the past that I bought because, hey, my friends are playing it. They're going to keep playing it for a while. Plus, it was on sale for like 10 bucks. So, yep, that price is right. And honestly, the whole reason I got into playing Destiny was because friends of mine were playing it, and we played it together for a year. So it was a great time to talk, chat with them, those who live far away. And I read that earlier in the year, they had a special event, as games do now, and this one was a Terminator special event. And not a Terminator theme one where something like a robot comes and occupies that. No, actual Terminators begin appearing on the island. Apparently in the future, Cyberdyne decides that somebody on the island needs to be targeted for termination and they begin sending Terminators back. And there's a whole storyline that goes along with it, weapons and more, and it's fantastic. It is worth the price of the game alone. That's wild. When the Terminators pop in, does it go from PvP to co-op or is it that's all up to you or how does that affect the play of the game? You can go just single player or you can invite friends who are also playing at the same time to join you and you play together. Like The first time a Terminator shows up in this special side story, the side mission, one thing I like about the game is that it's since it is based on like more real life ballistics and physics. There's no, you're shooting a guy until his health goes down and then he dies. You're using actual guns and bullets. And so usually a couple of shots will do it or one in the head, he's dead. The Terminator shows up and he comes slow walking through a doorway and he's, he's not Arnold, but he's very Arnold-esque. 
He's got the leather jacket and everything, holding a uh, machine gun in one hand and a pistol with a scope in the other. I thought you were going to say and... lots of roses, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> you start shooting him. Nothing happens. You shoot him some more. Nothing happens. You dump a couple of magazines into him, and you actually start getting scared because nothing's happening. He's still coming at you. And bits of flesh start getting picked away until you start seeing the silver and the red eyes underneath. Nice. And when I say it takes a lot to kill them, it takes a lot to kill them in this game. Uh, can you pick so, up a hydraulic press as equipment or? <laughs> <laughs> Funny enough, it fits in your holster along with your pistol. Amazing. So this takes place on an island. Is there a volcano on the island? Any lava right, that's nearby? Right. Oh, yeah. Just don't draw you, I, don't I wish, because the first time I faced one, I was like, okay, I'm going to run. Yeah. <laughs> and I hightailed it. Did you know it was a Terminator the first time you met it? Like, or was it a surprise? That, know, oh my gosh, why is this guy not going down? I was suspicious at first, but then the music confirmed it for me. Uh, <laughs> oh, the, nice. Dun, 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 dun. nice. <laughs> Plus, the character kept asking, this conversation prompt kept coming up. says, are you Sarah Connor? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm zombie. Uh, what would you say? <laughs> I'm Chris zombie Pine. Chris Pine. <laughs> <laughs> Dang okay, it, I guys. think we've got a sequel right here. I, I'm sorry to hijack, but I have to know. Who do you... I feel like there's almost no one that could take up and be a, as good a Terminator as Arnold Schwarzenegger, but can you guys think of any actors that would be make for a good or a good Terminator? Ooh, this is you our know pop it'd be, quiz. You know what would be is fun? Impromptu pop quiz. Love it. <laughs> okay. Aren't they always prom impromptu? <laughs> Shh, Brian, don't spoil it. <laughs> The closest that comes to my mind is The Rock, but that would be yeah. so cool to see a Terminator mm. Rock versus a Terminated Ar Terminator. Oh, that would be. Oh, gosh, <laughs> yes. What about the guy who plays um, Drax in the Guardians of the Galaxy? Oh. Batista. Oh, yeah. yeah. Batista. I could see, I could I see, see him that. doing it. So have you guys seen the trailer for the new Dune movie that just came out? Nice. Yes. I haven't watched it yet. No. Okay. In the Dune series, there is a character called the Beast. Beast Raban. And so his Kelsey reputation Grammer is. is <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Batista, you know, this big imposing figure plays him. And I'm like, OK, that's a good use for Batista. And because oh, nice. he's this giant hulking figure who just leaves destruction in his wake. And, yeah, I could see Batista pulling off a Terminator vibe. Nice. Okay, it's funny. Cool. I was going to go. Yeah, I was going to go with Batista, too. I, oh, I don't know why, but there it was. James, you're in my head again. What did I say about deactivating that chip? <laughs> uh, you said exactly what I programmed you to say. Gosh, dang it, again. <laughs> it would be good up until like a raccoon jumps on his shoulder like, Drax, cut it out. We've got to go. <laughs> <laughs> and he would oh, say, my. quiet, I'm being invisible. <laughs> okay, so Paul, what's your what's your pick for the uh, for the Terminator I, replacement? I, I said The Rock. Oh, that's rock, right. Yeah. So we Did got Brian the Rock, Batista times two. Who's left? Uh, I I didn't weigh in, and I'm having a hard time coming up with anybody. Go for it's Anthony like Daniels. Anthony Daniels. I'm thinking uh, uh, David Harbour as he played Hellboy because oh, he was okay. surprisingly impressive. Was that the old Hellboy or the new Hellboy? I've only seen the old the one. The new Hellboy. one from Stranger Things. Oh, okay. Yeah, they got the sheriff from Stranger Things. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. Okay, I didn't realize that. Hopper. Yeah, when they when they announced him uh, as Hellboy, I'm like, 
wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then I saw the pictures. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, sure. Right. There you go. Cool. Thanks, Man, thanks for letting me give you, that you, you, pop quiz. You, oh, I'm yeah. not off the hook. Yeah, you're going to answer your own question? <laughs> <laughs> I give the test. I don't take them. Um, I, I think it would be interesting <laughs> to see Sylvester Stallone as a Terminator. I think that just because there's always that sort of like pseudo rivalry between them. I think it'd be cool to see. Yeah. So Francisco comes from the last action hero universe. Ooh, that's what (laughs) I was going to go with that. Because that was seeded in there. Yeah. 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 It's some of his best work. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm honestly surprised no one said John Cena because they're trying to put him in those kind of roles. Oh, well, that's true, huh? Yeah, they are, aren't they? He's a bit too, like, I want to say, I, I think that's this is even a term in wrestling of a baby face. Like, he has, mm. he's just too much of a likable character. I don't know. I'm quickly looking up who John Cena is. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the other problem is recognition. Uh, well, so, he's we, been in, like, the, the um, what was it, the the Transformers movie with Bumblebee. Beetle, Bumblebee, and he's he's been in several films. He's kind of following the same path that The Rock started. He had these like minor roles, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Taken on larger and larger ones, but yeah, but I, I don't think, know. Like, I just, yeah. I just think that The Rock is more. Uh, I don't know how John Cena can do the comical side of things like Dwayne Johnson yeah. can. He he doesn't have the the star power, definitely. No. But what is the name of the actress who played Kara Dune? Because she could do the comedic part of it, and she's pretty physically imposing. So that that'd be an interesting take, I think. I oh, in the Mandalorian. Name. Yeah. Oh, oh yes. Oh, that would be good. Yeah. Gina Carano. That's yes. the one. Yes. I mean, especially I, because she has the physical, like she, I mean, yes. she knows how to fight. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think that she would be an interesting, interesting take. And she, had, all right. I, I changed my answer to Gina. That's <laughs> now we're all imagining. Okay. Yeah. I really want to see that Terminator movie now. Yeah. <laughs> so no well, picked a, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> well, if, well, everyone, if you want no, a, a Terminator that looks like he's about to starve to death, sure. <laughs> Although, I, mean, do I we, don't know. Do we really want a Terminator uh, Sherlock Holmes? Oh. Um, no. Now that you say it like that, I, 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 I would like a Terminator felt. Doctor Strange. Well, I mean, do we really want to see a, a Sherlock Holmes who also is going to kill people indiscriminately and just uh, walk through bodies like it's nothing? Yes. yes. Shall we begin? <laughs> well, in that <laughs> Ooh, case, that was good. It's a good thing that you guys are here because today we're doing a special edition of the Film Club, and we're with uh, the guys from Retro Rewind. We're going to be reviewing Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, there are 13 movies in the Star Trek universe. And it's interesting that this is our 13th Film Club episode on Geek in Arms. Oh, and wow. for those who are superstitious of such patterns and ominous numbers, get over it. We're moving on. <laughs> <laughs> there are so, 13 disciples, so why not? There exactly. You right. There you go. You know, I, I think that we really do have to put a plug in here because this is kind of a two-part episode. We have just finished recording with the Retro Rewind uh, folks, and uh, if they wanted to check out our review of The Wrath of Khan, uh, what episode number is that going to be when it gets posted? That's going to be at retrorewindpodcast.com slash 209. And so because yep, Into Darkness uh, 
came out in 2013. That's way outside of their reviewing parameters. In fact, yes. even mentioning the movie in passing opened up a black hole that brought them here. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. <laughs> Can't believe it. So because this is kind of a two-part thing, if you want to check out our review of Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, and we're going to kind of discuss its parallel film from uh, 2013, uh, Into Darkness. So yeah, It is going to come up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Right. I'm, <laughs> well, I mean, I guess that, that gets us into the question of why this film? Why are we taking the special time aside to, to talk about Into Darkness? We don't know, do we? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Other because than, it's a Star Trek film. Why not? Well, that's, I mean, that in itself is good enough. I mean, my, my thought was, well, when Francisco and Paul said, do you want to do this two-parter? We're like, yes, there's only one answer to that. Yes, yes, we'll yeah. do this. <laughs> essentially, essentially, I'm someone who enjoys synergy a lot. I know that's kind of a, like a, a, um, a very, like, TV executive type term, but oh, I like it when... What are we, a 2005 boardroom? Whatever. Yes. James. Um, <laughs> no, we're magic players. We talk about synergy all the time. That's a good point. But usually I have okay, to let tap me... mana to get that. <laughs> okay, uh, now let me come out of the swamp here and say that I think it is just a cool idea since I, I knew Wrath of Khan and or Into Darkness took a lot of, uh, let's say, license or inspiration from wrath of khan for us to cover wrath of khan on retro rewind i thought it made a lot of sense to cover into darkness on on your guys' show if you're willing and uh, very gracious of you guys to be like yeah let's talk about that that'd be awesome so thank you guys so much for giving me and paul a chance to talk about a movie that's not 15 years or older well to be honest it wasn't that much of a hard sell it was like you guys want to watch some star trek yeah, yeah, we do yeah. want to watch some yeah, Star Trek. We do that. <laughs> yeah, we do that well, and I think that it's there's something that is interesting in this film in itself because it's really meant to be in parallel with the Wrath of Khan. The mm. film really relies heavily on fans being able to at least distantly remember or at least be distantly familiar with Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. It employs mm. similar characters relies on basic knowledge of the backgrounds established in the TV episode Space Seed and mirrors a lot of the classic scenes in that original movie. I think it actually works, though, standalone, though, because right. I I went into this movie not having seen Wrath of Khan. I'm one of those few people that hadn't seen it. Uh, I'd seen, I, I think at the point I started the Kelvin Star Trek universe, I'd only ever seen Star Trek Four and Star Trek uh, six of the original series cast. I'd seen some of the next generation films as well, but um, I saw the the reboot, the 2009 Star Trek, and I still was able to come away with a lot. But I would say, and we might get into this later, I came away with a lot more having seen Wrath of Khan and then yeah. seen mm -hmm. Into Darkness. Mm -hmm. So, how was that first viewing of the film? Did it did it feel like it was? I mean, did it feel like it made sense? Did it function well as a standalone film in your in your experience yeah. with it? Yeah, for me, it did. It, it seemed to make sense. I sort of I they had established the characters in the 2009 version with like, you know, Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto and uh, Carl Urban. Carl Urban. Oh, such a good McCoy. OK, oh, okay. he's anyway. fantastic as McCoy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to geek out there. Um, that's that's, what, that we the previous that's what we do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but uh, so they established who these characters were, what they what their motivations were, all that. 
So it was definitely easy just going into the next adventure with them. And I, I was able to follow what was going on just fine. I think if you have no familiarity with Star Trek at all, it would have been odd. You probably would have wondered, like, why are they doing such a thing? I did have a weird quandary scene at this time again about the whole the whole starting uh, scene with the volcano and the the people, mm-hmm. uh, the tribal people. But but no, I would say to answer your question, Mike, it was it was totally it made sense and it was easy to follow for someone like myself <laughs> so <laughs> if you are me like- out there listening you be able to pick <laughs> up on it <laughs> well it sounds like then they had a great deal of success with with the film then and making it both standalone and it be i guess you could say being a conversation with its previous mm-hmm. incarnation yeah. yeah i would say so yeah and they That's didn't a even... fine line they walked and they, they did it. Yeah. Uh, and it was funny because they didn't advertise the film as a remake with Khan. Instead, they, they made it a, a reveal moment in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, I even they... remember like J.J. Abrams saying, no, no, it's not Khan or something like that. And yeah, I, was yeah, that I remember Comic-Con that too. Or, or yeah. yeah, he yeah. said that a lot. And I know I didn't believe him because it was pretty yeah. obvious where he was going. And he, right, yes. He made too yeah. big a deal out of it, I think. Yeah. See, mm-hmm. he knew it was going to be Khan. We knew it was going to be Khan. Abrams knew that. We knew that Abrams knew that. Abrams <laughs> knew that we knew. We're a very knowledgeable fan base. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. You have to forgive me. I will quote the movie The Line in Winter every chance I get. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was familiar with that, that movie. I'm also thinking years old. You should watch it. (laughs) (laughs) I recommend that for the retro rewind. (laughs) I don't know what you are referring to. So it felt like as I I clearly cannot choose the poison in front of you. And I clearly cannot choose the cup in front of me. (laughs) See that one I get. Okay. (laughs) See, well, people were drawing the parallels between the two when it was announced. The 2009 re-imaging was so successful. We knew there was going to be another one. And... As they were shooting it, and oh, they cast uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, that guy. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, butternut that's crinkle fries. Yeah. Yes, butternut crinkle fries. Yes, they cast wow. him as the villain, and people were already drawing the comparisons. Is this one going to be like Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan? Because that one was so important. It was so well done. It's so many people's favorite Star Trek movie. And but Benedict looks nothing like Ricardo. I mean, the, he doesn't have the big pecs. He doesn't have the long hair, that outrageous accent. I mean, they're totally different. Well, they, I mean, he has really, an outrageous really he has an outrageous English accent. I mean, that's enough to make most American viewers are like, okay, yeah, I'm totally in on this. And this, his pecs <laughs> have yet to be seen on screen. The Benedict Cumberbatch shower scene was cut from the film. Oh. I'm not even making Man. that up. <laughs> Did I miss out? Uh, yeah, I, I'm sorry. Can you please put your shirt back on? I'm sorry, Captain. I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> what's funny is I didn't I didn't know that this was going to be Wrath of Khan when I went into the film the very first it's time not, I saw it. It's into darkness. Well, it's fair God. enough. I I had no idea that Khan was going to be a character. I thought that it was an idea that they had played with early on. Well, should we should we toy with Wrath of Khan? And now we're going to do we're going to do this completely different, not at all Khan thing oriented called Into Darkness. And then when he had that reveal moment, my name is Khan. I'm like, oh, (laughs) 
Oh, I yeah, guess we are doing this. He turned a one <laughs> syllable name into like a five syllable word with that. <laughs> you know, Mike, I, I would have loved to have had that moment because all the leading up to it, I heard JJ Abrams say, no, it's not Khan. And I, I was one of those fools that believed him. <laughs> um, but unfortunately I am a reader of the internet and like about a week before it came out, it was all over the internet that, Oh yes, this is Khan. And I'm like, no, that would have been such a great reveal. Uh, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> internet. That's frustrating. Yeah. Right. See, I was kind of, I won't say upset, but I was disappointed that the villain ended up being Khan because, well, I can see that. I'm not saying that it lessened the original any, but I mean, this is a new imaging. It's a new crew. They already established in the first one. It's a new timeline, new everything. Right. If they wanted to base it on Wrath of Khan, that'd have been great. If it had been like one of Khan's, one, one of the other 72, like his best friend, like his lieutenant, mm. I think the from the Wrath of Khan, the only other member of his people that gets named is his buddy Joaquim, I think the name was, the blonde-haired guy who keeps asking him questions and questioning his orders. If it had been yeah. that guy, I think that would have been a better choice than Khan himself because it would have opened up the avenue for some different dramatic moments and mm -hmm. uh, a new character, but still based on that original idea. It, yeah. it, it goes back and why the, the Kelvin universe is so flawed is that because at one point in time, time itself skews into another timeline but anything that happens before that where the timeline skewed off it should be the same and khan is still ricardo in 1990s <laughs> when he takes off and somehow transforms into cumberbatch it doesn't make sense those, oh, those cryo tubes that. they really mess you up man they just bleach <laughs> yeah. the skin and the, and the Kelvin universe has problems with that in in other areas, so it's just one of those glaring flaws to me. But anyway, but I think exactly what you're saying. It's Paul, not like Star or, Trek isn't full of those to begin with. So no, well, no. it just um, makes it worse. <laughs> I think like what you guys are saying though error. makes a lot of sense. That if it had been his second in command, they could have even done a whole thing where yeah, well. Uh, Khan's cryo chamber got destroyed or a meteor hit it because we're in a, the skewed timeline. And so he then woke, woke up and it was a different person, which you you had a sense of what he would do and what he'd go after because they're all like Superman, hungry power right. people. Yeah. But he, he's going to have a different skill set, maybe a different uh, way of going about, which would have been led to more and more of an interesting sort of, I guess – uh, film because you, you don't know what to expect necessarily. Yeah, I, I think it would have made the other beginning scene besides the one on the volcano and the planets and the and saving that indigenous race, the scene of Khan offering to save the little girl. It would have led to uh, to the believability of that because the Khan that we meet in Space Seed in and Wrath of Khan, that's not something he would even if it's a you know, justify yeah. his ends. It's a means to an ends. Yeah. I don't, I don't see him having even a, a shred of humanity for anyone. Yeah. I don't oh, know. Yeah. He had proposed proposed to headcanon here. What okay. if this guy was just pretending to be con because oh. Admiral Marcus didn't know the difference. Oh, so he conned oh. us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, See, my I... real name is Genghis Khan. <laughs> my what real name is Steve. <laughs> and and you are i'm very important no one would sur surrender to the dread pirate steve anyways yeah. <laughs> in the 90s i was known as steve 
jobs. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> the thing I found interesting about that about that scene, though, is in the second viewing, I found that opening scene where he's, he's talking to the guy about his, his daughter completely believable because I thought that he would do anything to manipulate somebody into their ends. Yeah, and, right. that is true. That is absolutely true, Mike. I will see to that. And we'll we'll talk a little bit about some of my observations on that on that scene a little bit a little bit later. But, but I just, just about that, that whole child scene could have been removed, and the film would have been just as good. Probably. Probably. But, Honestly, I, mean, I enjoyed that scene because I thought that between the camera work and the music, it was a beautiful scene. It, it probably could have been removed, and the movie would have been fine. But I still think it was a scene that was very well done. And watching it again as a dad of a little girl, I'm like, I'm not crying at this. This scene is not going to mess me up. Yeah. I just was <laughs> wondering, like, okay, what's the point of all this? And it just kind of slowed it for me. It's like, this is not Star yeah, Trek. Yeah, they spent this an is, awful long time on a, a This is a soap character. opera built into the middle of a Star Trek commercial or movie. <laughs> I do find it interesting that that concept that they use, like, okay, we're going to have this event so that we get all of these people into this room. Mm -hmm. That's what they get out of this, is getting them into this room. Came from mm -hmm. one of the seasons from Doctor Who as well. And oh. so given that premise is shared there, I really, I really wanted David Tennant to show up at that guy's desk. Like, Mickey, you are better than this. We'll find another way. But if it's David Tennant's doctor, he would have just said, I'm sorry, Mickey. I'm so sorry. Fixed point in time. Oh, no. OK. All right. And then why was Cumberbatch a doctor? He would make a great doctor. I think. Oh, that's an even better question that I was going to ask. I don't know. <laughs> I Stunned silence. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> because then everyone would have made the comp. Yeah. Do we call him oh. Sherlock or we call him Doctor or Dr. Sherlock? It's strange, well, isn't it? <laughs> it is strange. But who am I, who am I to judge? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, all right. So is there anything in the film craft that that we want to talk about in this lens in this flares. Film. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I have, I have a story about lens flares on this movie specifically. Oh, let's uh, do it. I have a, a friend who was working at uh, the stereo conversion company that was working on this Ooh. and having seen That's the like first, making it to 3d, right? Brent? Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, taking a, the 2d movie and making it 3d movie. Right. And uh, it's way, way cheaper these days to actually just convert a movie than to shoot it 3D to start with. Huh. As strange as that seems. Um, but having seen the first one and knowing that JJ is really, really fond of lens flares and actually having worked on Fringe in which the lens flares were a problem, I asked him, uh, so you're converting these movies. What do you, where do you put the lens flare? Is that like in the foreground behind the screen or like right? Because the lens flare takes place inside the lens. So mm -hmm. it should be like, like on your eyeball. Right. And he just said, shut up, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, we saved $3 million by not doing as much lens flares in this movie. So just, just accept it. Well, apparently his job was to rotoscope the lens flares. Oh. <laughs> Ooh. So he, how's, he'd spent how's your, how's your hundreds doing? and hundreds of hours. <laughs> yeah. Is he okay? Yeah. When did he check uh, into rehab? Just out of curiosity. Then, actually. <laughs> <laughs> We might want to make a wellness check on him. <laughs> no, actually, he's now a, uh, a VFX supervisor. Oh, no, lead compositor for uh, Imaginary Forces, I think. Oh, very cool. So he, he's doing very well. 
Um, let's see for, so for the film craft of it. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm someone who I, I feel like this film was shot really nicely. I'm, I'm not yeah. someone who gets to, distracted by the lens flares. I, they do start to become obvious in Star Trek, uh, and some of other JJ Abrams, other, uh, properties but uh I, yeah i just thought it was shot really well i i liked when they when when they chose to use steady cam versus you know uh tracking shots and all, all the nine yards there i i love the way they do uh warp speed for oh, yeah. the, the kelvin cam. universe uh what do they? Right, i said with the steady yeah well you know as it stretches <laughs> yeah. and takes off oh, and the camera I'm shakes at, i they got a guy out there the in, the, in, the, in a space in the suit in the camera the That's what yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> now, this isn't gonna hurt right now steve you'll be fine don't worry <laughs> yeah. about it yeah no just don't worry about it, the particles looks, what <laughs> how how warping looks all that yeah, so, yeah i agree uh, that so, was a very cool effect and I think um, tilting, like a lot of the action scenes, they were tilting. They even tilted the whole Enterprise. They started running around on its side, just like yes, 2001, like... a space odyssey, but did it much better because it was faster and quicker. <laughs> I was going yeah, like Inception, thought... but yeah. I was thinking Inception <laughs> oh, as yeah. well. Uh, well, I was going pre, sorry. I'm of the Retro Rewind podcast. We only review movies 15 years older. Inception's not there yet. Sorry, got five but, yeah. years. Excuse me. <laughs> but the the overall production quality i think is uh very good it's actually something that still holds up today in today's Agreed. movies it could fit right in oh yeah 10 something, years later yeah, yeah. It's, something it's amazing you, uh, go ahead mike something that you ask on your podcast a lot is how did you watch this i mean did you watch this mm. in super hd and was that where I, your experience I, came from i watched my on blu-ray on this one yeah for me H it was blu-ray uh 720p oh sorry mine was blu-ray 1080p <laughs> and so all I, of that looks super in, clean. Uh, UHD in uh, the high, what's the the word? HDR um, or yeah, HDR high dynamic yeah. range. Yeah, mm -hmm. nice, it's gorgeous. It's a beautiful nice. movie. Cool. It's amazing the effects difference between these new movies and the old ones. But then, oh, like yeah. the the Wrath of Khan was made for like what twenty something million. It might have been even like twelve million, and this one was made for a hundred and eighty-five million. Oh my gosh! <laughs> That's like half the money the, the Wrath of Khan made. Yeah. <laughs> well, we talked about uh, the differences between the the models and. Mm -hmm. CG on your show. And, and that's another place where that really makes a difference because once you've built a physical model, mm -hmm. you can shoot it all day and it doesn't really cost much more. Yeah. Right. And, mm -hmm. and I was about to CG, say, it's going to cost you per second. Yeah. Oh geez. Yeah. And I was about to say to that, I, there's something about as, as gorgeous as the ship looked, all the ships look in uh, the, the Kelvin verse. Uh, there's something almost too glossy about them that mm -hmm. you don't get with the the models in the in the old Star Trek films. And I'm not saying yeah. one's better or worse. I'm just saying it, there's it's a different style. A, yeah, it's yeah. A, it may just be the style of it. Yeah, and it, it it's, looks it's very sleek. I, too so. slick, too too clean, too <laughs> yeah. too Apple it, store ish. Yes, to, to I was just about term. to say that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I like the first one. The first one we see in the 2009 Star Trek, the USS Kelvin. I liked the look of that. It mm -hmm. had. A kind of more of a feel of that old Star Trek yeah. dynamic to it. Is um, that the one Thor dies on? Yes, that's the one that Thor okay. dies on. 
Okay. See, what's interesting is I really, I mean, again, this is all subjective experience of the film. I really loved the redesign of the exterior of the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Like I, I know that it was different from, from the original, and I don't particularly care that it differs from the original. Just it really made it feel like the old Enterprise for today, like with our mm-hmm. aesthetic mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, totally. our aesthetic sensibilities. I, I loved the look of the ship. And if it if it looked a little too shiny, maybe it just hadn't dried off from when it was submerged under the ocean. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just pitching that out there. It just got a wash. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> I was did, about did to you... say that the, everything would be shinier because it doesn't oxidize because it's out there in space. But then they did spend the first part of the movie under the water. So that yeah. doesn't really hold water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you feel the same about the interior of the ship? Mike, you said the exterior. I'm curious, what did you or any of you guys feel about the interior? Like, personally, I felt like it was a, too, a little too bright and glassy and, <laughs> and Apple Store white, essentially. There are parts <laughs> of the interior I really liked. The only ones I don't are when we get to engineering and it looks like a industrial natural gas factory. See, uh, I felt like engineering <laughs> actually looked the most authentic. Yeah. <laughs> Now, they, they finally showed us the warp core. I thought that looked fantastic. Oh, okay. It was like NASA on steroids. Yes, yes, yes. I've got this a little bit later as we're talking about some of the comparisons between the old, oh, okay. the new, and the different decades. Oh, but I sorry, mean, we're getting brief, ahead of ourselves no, again. That's fine. No, that's what we do here. That's what we do. That's what happens. Um, <laughs> but in brief, I, I would say that the bridge and the, the shots of the interior was, you know, it was a, a different experience from previous treks, but... It didn't. I didn't find it jarring or anything of that sort. Well, and as I said, I was watching it in HDR, and my TV is really bright. So you go on the bridge, and everything is white, and there's shining lights in your face, and it actually literally hurt my eyes at times. Because oh gosh, that, that scene was so bright. Though to be honest, we don't get a really great look at most of the corridors of the new Enterprise because everyone's running. Everyone's always yeah. running. No one walks <laughs> or strolls in this movie. It was the influences of the West Wing on Star Trek. Oh my god! Oh, is is everyone just running in the White House in that show? They basically ran their dialogue at twice speed while everyone was walking through the corridors quickly. Uh, they actually wrote more dialogue per minute than you're supposed to write, just so mm-hmm. they could make everybody go through everything faster to uh, like a okay. high high intensity environment. Make everything look urgent, right? I was going to say, that's why everyone is in such good shape in Into Darkness, because everyone's cardio <laughs> levels are just so high. Exactly. And wh- what is it in um, the Star Trek, the uh, the cartoon that's out right now? They What did they Lower get decks. rid of? Yeah, Lower Decks. They got rid of the, the extra time so that everyone had to run everywhere. Oh, yeah. They, um, they called it... Um, Oh, now I can't think of it. The lift? Oh, brain fart. No, no, no. Um, they actually cut out like extra time in their in their schedule through the day so they couldn't complete all their functions without having to run everywhere. Um, but anyway. It's, was it called filler time or buffer Something time? Something like buffer, buffer time. time. That was yes. it. Buffer time. It's, it's a joke from like whenever Kirk would ask oh. um, <laughs> Scotty. It's like, Scotty, how long is this going to take? Uh, this is going to take uh, eight hours, sir. But instead, he'd do it in two, and that would make him look like a miracle worker. Well, the truth is, like, the command officers, the cap, they've been in, like, the higher rank for so long, they've forgotten how long it actually takes to fix stuff. So right. those of, like, you know, who are actually doing the work say, oh, yeah, this is going to take uh, two days. But it really was only taking, like, six hours, and then they just chill out and slack off the rest <laughs> of the time. 
So in the cartoon oh. series, uh, the upper command finds out about it and they eliminate buffer time. And so everyone's always running everywhere. So that's why in this movie, they eliminated buffer time and everyone's running. Ah, well, this okay. Is, this is so early in their careers that Scotty hasn't invented the Scotty factor yet. Mm. That's right. Uh, yes. <laughs> see, when you said the animated series, I was going back to the 1970s. Like, okay, yeah. what they do? Yeah. <laughs> when they both when had there was cat a, girls, they both had cat girls. Yeah. <laughs> I am so glad that she's back then. Well, well, that's not, not the same one. Yeah, I know. Well, what no, happened they... to the three armed lieutenant? I like that guy. Anyway, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Um, something nope. else that I, I, I found surprising. Um, I enjoyed the Wrath of Khan's music, like we mentioned before. But oh, this yeah. one, I think I enjoyed even more. The mm -hmm. score to this. Oh, yeah, I definitely love how they took the original theme and then added to it and just made it yeah. more more contemporary. I think that's it, it's a great amalgam of the two and a great, uh, mm -hmm. great uh, uh, update. Michael, um, Brian, help me with his last name because I'm going to butcher it. Giacchino? I don't Giacchino. know how it's pronounced. Uh, he did the uh, score for both the 2009 Star Trek and this one, and I really enjoyed them as well. I thought they did a great job. Mm -hmm. I mean, when those when the music just flares the first time we see the Enterprise in space, oh, I mean, yeah. it's, yes. it just conveys this majestic feeling. Yeah, yeah totally. Right. And it's got a uh, a lot of darker tones into a more ominous that fits yeah. well with the the darker alternate alternate reality in which Vulcan's been destroyed. Mm -hmm. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I always forget that that's a thing. I, I actually like the, the explanation when Khan is saying that. Because, you know, in the original series, it's Kirk and the Enterprise that finds yeah. uh, the Botany Bay. Yeah. But in this one, he says the, the destruction of Vulcan made Starfleet be more aggressive in their exploration. And that's why he was found early. I'm like, OK, you know what? Yeah. I buy that. That actually yeah. makes sense. Yeah, that does. They did the time element right on that part. Yeah. Oh, that's why he looks like Benedict Cumberbatch, because if he had been in that uh, cryo tube for three more years for taking a Kirk to find him, oh. you know, he would have aged a little more. He would, you know, skin would have gotten darker. He would have picked up the accent and his patch just would have been shorter. banging. Oh, right. thank you for explaining that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Right. <laughs> okay. It's interesting you brought yeah, up the themes, are... though, Paul. Yeah. yeah. Well, why don't we talk about some of the thematic comparisons of Into Darkness and Wrath of Khan? Uh, one of the things that I kind of noticed that they they both did, which was have it, what I what I kind of privately to myself and I guess now publicly to the Internet, uh, <laughs> have a have a James Bond opening like there's a little yeah. a little short narrative that mm -hmm. kind of sets up the pace and the tone and some ideas for the movie. And then once that 10, 5, 10 minute shtick is over, then we get on to the to the quote unquote real movie. Mm -hmm. I, because... I felt like it was very James Bond like as well. I, I had that same thought, Mike. Well, I was it's thinking MacGyver. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't get the comparison between James Bond, but I certainly like the action sequence, opening sequences a lot better than boring white text on a black background <laughs> <laughs> for the credits. Yeah, uh... I don't remember the credits. I guess there's a reason for that. But anyway. Mm. <laughs> Well, it's at I'm the end now with the zooming planets at the end. Oh, yeah, okay, that's right. Yeah. Recall, how did Wrath of Khan start? Was it? Oh, it was the Kobayashi Maru, it, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it started okay. with blue text on a black background. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, it, I think if we're, we're comparing, it's, it's definitely, 
I think one is cool and hip and actiony. The other is is amazing how it sets up a whole paradigm that like lasts lasts through all of Star Trek now, the Kobayashi <laughs> Maru, which mm-hmm. right. no one's going to be talking about that one plant with the volcano and the tribal people. That's not going to set any sort of precedent for future Star Treks. But the Kobayashi well, nobody Maru knew. Was, so. It does set nobody- the precedent of, of, of Kirk's character at the time, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Yeah, but that's that's just character stuff. I'm talking about something that affects uh, the lore uh, in totality. Oh, okay. I feel like that okay. mm-hmm. is interesting how this older movie really did that. Whereas this newer movie, I mean, I, I had forgotten about that whole se- sequence. But even not having seen Wrath of Khan, I knew about the Kobayashi Maru because it's so embedded in pop culture. So I think right. that's that's a testament to how it's not all about sizzle and glitz that's not uh, a long legacy does not that make necessarily i think as a testament to what you're saying here francisco is uh you know in short story time my my wife story gets this time. brand new cat that comes into our house and uh, and i i do what i do with everything i start poking fun like it is <laughs> like there is no, no, there's no escaping this. Like, it, no, and sometimes my my wife will look at me like, "What? Why are you teasing me?" I'm like, because it's what I do. I mean, do you want it to stop? <laughs> it's like, mm, no, you're fine. You know, and then move on. But at, at this point, she she looks at me after several weeks, um, and just says, "Mike, what kind of cat could I have gotten that you wouldn't make fun of?" And I said. Kaja, this is your very own Kobayashi Maru, Kaja. It's your Kobayashi Maru. <laughs> and the fact that that is just a metaphor that exists in our brains is, is not going to come up. No, there's nothing in Into Darkness that's going to be that classic lasting moment. Although I don't know that any other Star Trek movie has really had that deep of an impact since. Maybe I'm wrong, but it's... Well, I mean, I want to save the whales after four, so... so that <laughs> well, I was a little bit older. <laughs> I already wanted to save the whales when, when oh, four came me. along, so... He I was mean... wanting to save the whales when it was cool. <laughs> yeah, but, which means I'm old. <laughs> like, just <laughs> old. Um, but I think that it, it also, you know, to that point of Star Trek II's opening and Star Trek Four being what it was... The opening, I think, sets up the movie to let you know what kind of Star Trek you are watching. And in Wrath of Khan, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there, this is all about this dialogue of, okay, what do we do with these difficult situations? And it was right. very much like the 80s track. And this movie starts with the opening, and it is just running flat out from the beginning. And it sets yeah. the pace for the tone. It does tell you something about the emotional resonances of the characters because mm-hmm. yeah. Uhura is worried about Spock going down. Yeah. I forgot that they were dating. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. this opener let me know where is this relationship sitting? And then he does the whole needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And Spock sets off the, uh, I guess, the Vulcan in the volcano sets the device <laughs> off. Can, can, can I ask? I does... did not pick up on that before. Did, did he actually say the words, uh, the needs of the many outweighed the needs of the few? He did. Okay. Yeah. He said because that. honestly, I, I, so. I couldn't remember. Okay. I, when I was rewatching this movie, I had little kids running around. So I only heard about maybe a quarter of the actual dialogue. Oh, and wow. 
Yeah. The Wrath of Khan, it gets mentioned a couple of times and yeah. at very poignant yeah. moments. This time, I, I, I missed where he said it in the volcano, and it doesn't get said again. And so it had me wondering, like, while the, the core concept is implied throughout the movie, I was just wondering, like, wow, it gets brought up so much in the original. I yeah. didn't know if they brought it up in the remake. Yeah, I think it comes up in the volcano, and it comes up after we have the Crispy Kirk getting irradiated. <laughs> that sounds Am like I a delicious dessert. Crispy Kirk. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm going to get no. those at the donut store now. Gosh, you'd think that they would have thought about this in the early 1980s when they just made cereals out of everything. <laughs> <laughs> they actually did have a Star Trek cereal. It was before the 80s. I, re oh, I remember wow. calling, but oh, uh, I bought I, it did not contain Krispy Kirk. Sorry. Uh, no, but you could. Well, you, there was one where you could cut off your own Jordy visor from the back. I'm not making oh, this up. Yeah. <laughs> and then get into an argument who was eating C-3PO's and cut out the C-3PO mask in, yeah. on the back of the box. I also did that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay, so it isn't just my shame, it's all of us, or yeah. at least the two of us. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Two of you, anyway. Right. <laughs> but getting back to the movie, the the first scene was so action-packed that I think that's why I found the whole scene with the dying daughter boring. I'm like, mm. okay, I'm in for the ride now. And I know a lot of people like, okay, I need a breather, but not me. I'm like, we just got this party going. What's this? Come on. <laughs> I actually kind of liked the break because as much as there's like I, I, this most action people drive. Yeah. Most people do. I'm the odd one. I know. No, it's not odd. It is your experience of the film. Just own it and just bring right. it on in. There you go. I mean, and so having like action pack, then mm -hmm. bring it down for a minute. Action pack, bring it down. Let's me catch my yeah. breath a bit. <clears throat> yeah, because when compared to the Wrath of Khan, which Wrath of Khan compared to the motion picture, it runs. It's much oh, yeah. faster pace. Yeah, but yeah. Even though it's longer. But the Wrath of Khan crawls in comparison to Into Darkness. I mean, mm. this movie may have clocked in at like two hours and 14 minutes, but there's just so much going on with it. It goes by at a breakneck speed. Yes. Yeah. I also think that, you know, you were saying earlier, Paul, that, well, why don't we just drop this this whole thing with the daughter? Right. And uh, and for the for the record, the the name of the man who had the daughter was Thomas Harewood. I, I looked it up. Okay. Uh, okay, the record shows that his name is Thomas Harewood. Not Mickey. Okay. <laughs> Definitely not Mickey. Anyway, <laughs> the the thing that I found interesting about that is that we just come right off of this. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And, mm -hmm. and Spock is willing to sacrifice himself. But mm -hmm. Harewood is putting the needs of the one above the needs of the many. And so... Oh, trying to get yes, intellectual on us now, huh? I... I, w I think it might actually be deliberate because otherwise, oh, yeah, yeah you I could cut it. this out. Um, yeah. And so it's it's showing somebody who is emotionally desperate, somebody who is who's tied up with his feelings about his daughter mm -hmm. and is heartbroken. And he's a father that would do anything, even put mm -hmm. the needs of so many under the needs of of his daughter. So I, I, I think that it has a place in this film, even though it doesn't really fit the pacing. Yeah. Can can I say what what would have been? I don't know. I, I guess I don't understand why he didn't just get out of his bargain or uh, like take you know take Khan's blood or whatever. He heals his daughter and then just don't go and blow up the thing. I mean, I could see if he wants to do some sort of self sacrifice, like he goes and 
kills himself for some reason. I don't know. But I, yeah, if you're endangering other people's lives, I mean, I, unless you're, I guess this makes, I guess it's driving the point home that you mentioned, Mike, that it's, it's just to set up how this is in contrast to the self sacrifice that uh, Spock and Kirk have. Um, but it, I, just from just from a sort of a pragmatic real, realist point of view, I guess it's my own point of view. It's like why I'm not going to kill a bunch of people just to save my 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 kid. I want I, yeah. I would try to you save go them into hiding then, after exactly exactly you go into yeah. hiding. Yeah. yeah, I think if this was a next gen episode, this would be a wonderful moral exploration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of yeah. how wrapped do we... up in 42 minutes and yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, uh, I have a. a postulation on that this guy has access to the section 30 section 31 yes whatever it is um underneath the archive so possibly he had access to knowing being able to find out who Khan was and so Mm -hmm. maybe he was just freaking terrified that he wouldn't be able to get away and this guy was going to come and not only kill his daughter but his wife too oh yeah i don't know i feel like he would knew that much information he would also know the link to um uh the main admiral guy i forget his name marcus marcus yeah. thank you marcus aurelius um i think that he would know that connection and he could go seek marcus for help or, or some take it up the chain i don't know i'm i'm sure it may not work i'm just saying it <laughs> it, it bothered me i'm just saying personally it bothered me that he did that though i guess that's like i had, you guys I had the same thought yeah okay it seems to happen very quickly though like he gets the vial with khan's blood and in that same cool little container is the ring the death mm-hmm. ring the ring bomb you could call it a ring pop even <laughs> and <laughs> he gets it the blood you know gets transfused into his daughter he instantly sees his daughter's doing better and it didn't seem like the next scene is him heading off to section 31 he's off to work yeah and so right. he he may not have had time to do anything else. And you Khan know, was gonna... clearly shadowing him that whole time. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, he saw Khan right before he was about to go in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It made me wonder why Khan just didn't, like, throw a grenade in the library and skip all that. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, I almost wow, feel like... it would have been if, so easy. If you're going to... If you want to have the breakneck pace continue that Paul wants... And yes. you don't care about setting up a contrast. And it seems like you could go from the volcano exploding or not exploding to an actual explosion of a building. And you're like, there's mayhem everywhere. You don't really know what's going on. And then you see some mystery person. Maybe you just see their eye. Maybe you just see Benedict's eyes or something. But they're looking on. And you, we as an audience know that they're the ones who did it. And then the rest of the movie just proceeds as normal. Uh, you just go to the council and you find out, oh, this happened here to draw us here. It just seems like you could have kept going. Yeah. I don't know. I thank, I, I feel thank like you for proving I'm, my point. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm just hung up on the fact that nobody has hung a lantern on the fact that uh, Francisco said contrast. But anyway, oh, moving, on, uh, moving on, yeah. moving on, moving on, moving on. I'm losing all those puns. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, you're just setting them up and then you're we like, just put them on. Yeah. You're like s- emphasizing it slightly more every time I notice. <laughs> <laughs> so the track has changed quite a lot since the 1960s. What what makes this film a track of that is essential of the the 2010s era um, the year it came out 10 points uh, for gryffindor correct yeah. <laughs> paramount wanted more money 
<laughs> You're not wrong. We, we're we're into the age now of the of the touch screens, of the cell phones, all the information and TV shows and media and information at your fingertips at a moment's notice. Mm-hmm. And so yes. obviously there was going to have to be a change up in the technology and not just in a retro cool kind of way, but uh, they, they had to make it interesting and relevant to the audiences of today because, I mean, just as much as the 70s and 80s movies, these could not just be made for Star Trek fans. If they wanted to have any chance of reviving the franchise, of making more movies and TV shows, they had to hit a, as wide an audience as they could. Mm-hmm. Is that why they're carrying around iPads in this movie? Because, I mean, <laughs> yeah. this is supposed to be in the future, but it does that doesn't seem to have progressed as much as Tribbles. <laughs> <laughs> that was interesting. I mean, they they talk about data pads in you know in next gen. They have yeah. something really clunky in the 1960s, which I'm sure looked really sleek. But it was interesting that I didn't even notice the iPads because they just <laughs> had them and it looked like a tablet and he just set it yeah, aside. Yeah, I didn't either. Yeah. But you'd think that that maybe should have been maybe a clear piece of plastic that he could just scroll on and, and do, oh no, you set that down and you'll never find it. Okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you got to put little orange corners on it. <laughs> I lose more tablets this way. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Where but is definitely... that tablet? Well, you just set the other one down right on top of it. Uh, I think... Where's that one? <laughs> oh, no. I Quick, think that we've mentioned Siri, the find my, pacing. Find my tablet. A <laughs> oh. hundred start blinking. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've talked about how the pacing was was much different. And that's... Yeah, I, way more action-y. I think, I think that if we had tried to make something of the 1980s pacing i think that it would have it, it would have bombed at the box office that they mm-hmm. that think? i think i i think that we just want to engage movies differently these days i mean maybe not we specifically because we as moviegoers in this podcast enjoy mm-hmm. a a swath from from the 1980s and a mm-hmm. couple of them from the 1920s but i think that the average moviegoer would not have would not have been engaged in like a, a, a shot for shot remake of the wrath of Khan because mm. they would want something that would get their blood pounding and then you give know, them a break. I I'm going to have to disagree. I don't want to spoil our episode that we reviewed <laughs> wrath of Khan, but um, I'm, I'm just going to say, I disagree with that assessment, but fair I, enough. I could be wrong. I, no, go well, ahead. I, don't, I was going to say, I don't think anyone would really want a shot for shot remake of a previous movie. That's one of the reasons I'm so against these Disney live action remakes. I, I think they're just. Oh, uh, I am right there with you. I mean, a pox on culture is probably a bit too strong, but um, <laughs> I think now here's where I feel like I'm, I'm not sure where you were going with this, Paul, but I I think they changed it enough to make it its own story. And that's important. Sure. I, I, I almost feel like the, the way we are taking it before with like one of Khan's side or uh uh, not henchman, but his lieutenant would have been even vastly more interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, th- I think that uh, yeah, you wouldn't want a shot See, for shot remake. I no, don't I, think that I, would have yeah, worked. Yeah, and they, I, they, I don't because... mean a shot for shot, but I just meant the pacing. I think the pacing is fine from the '80s for now. Oh, and that's my oh. opinion. 
And oh, see, oh, because oh. it is this new universe, we had the opportunities to tell those old. Just because they're old doesn't mean the stories are bad. They're still right. well done. They're still still relevant because so much of Star Trek was written as a commentary for what was going on in its age. They still hold meaning, but to, to tell them in a brand new way, uh, yeah. I, I think is a I look at a lot of Into Darkness as a lost opportunity, as a missed mm. opportunity. How mm. so? Because well, they um, didn't what? Yeah. Not just because we brought back Khan and nothing against Ben to Cumberbatch. He's a fantastic oh, so it's actor. Not his I really enjoyed scene, then. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's okay. not just that. It's not okay. just that. I, I do have to put that in there. But wow. I, I feel like that there were parts of this script which were written by a 13 year old. Oh, yeah. You mean oh, the part of like, the turnaround? Yeah. Right. Oh, my gosh. That's so <laughs> yes. uh, unnecessary. That, the fact that we get that scene with Mrs. Marcus and mm-hmm. or with Miss Marcus and the, also Dr. That, Marcus, she earned you're it. You're absolutely right. I apologize. <laughs> wow. That gratuitous scene. And it is gratuitous. There's no other word for it. The fact that Khan's blood can can heal you and resurrect you, and thanks to Khan's, and not just his blood, but all their blood, we've now conquered death in the grave. Um, yes. The fact that the one of the main points of the Wrath of Khan was the starship captained by Khan, the Reliant, versus the Enterprise captained by Kirk. And it became like not just a – the ships were close to equal, so it became a match of intelligence, wits, and cunning. And in this one, the quote-unquote bad guy ship is huge, it's black, <laughs> it's got phasers and torpedoes and big, huge Star Wars cannons, yeah. and there's cutouts, and it looks like it was designed by a 14-year-old, and it's jet black for stealth, and you, you see where I'm going with this. Yeah, 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 <laughs> that in the modern storytelling, the way that we make something more threatening is bigger and more guns. Mm-hmm. And As the way to- that we... Yeah, go ahead, Mike. Smaller no, and less home. guns. <laughs> <laughs> no, but well, it's more of your intellect and what you bring to the table in terms of your cunning that seemed to be more what was on the menu for 80s fare. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. I, I will say one thing where I think this movie brings it up to another level in the writing is just before that, before you have the two ships sparring against each other, you have the captain uh, Kirk and the Admiral sparring of what Khan has told captain Kirk is like, Oh, they're, they're trying to use us. And then the Admiral is saying, no, he's trying to use you. And then there's that dilemma, like, which is true. And I thought mm-hmm. they, they handled that really well. Like that was, yeah. that was a nice scene. That was, yeah. and, and Kirk chose to, Nope. We're warping out of here. I'm figuring this one out on my own. (laughs) And I think another point to add to your point, Paul, is that the way that Spock solved the problem that he had with he's Mm. he's under the gun. He has to deliver. He has to deliver the hostages or they'll all be Mm. obliterated. He outwits Khan. And I think that uh, not to spoil our retro rewind episode, but I think Mm. that picks up on a point that Brian made earlier is that instead of this being a let's duke this out fight that it Mm -hmm. was intellect versus intellect to gain the upper hand and i think that this this film did that extremely well in that particular regard 
to a yeah. point. It did. And then they lost it at the this fist fight. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, then it was like, oh, so we're watching Space Seed again. Well, the yeah, first, almost, the first yeah. part of that is we, we get Spock's Vulcan side and then we get Spock's human side. And I will say, which, yeah. in this case, which obviously the it, human side is the brutal, barbaric, uh, you know, boxer. Right. Of course. It can be and, anything. At least I thought in that this was his, case, the... the pointy pugilist. <laughs> <laughs> What I was trying to say is, at least in this case, it it didn't come down to Spock being able to beat uh, Khan on his own. That's true, yes. Uhura's intervention was what actually turned the tide of that battle. So mm-hmm. that was a little less unsatisfying, but still. But I, de- I definitely would have loved to have had it left at them defeating the ship, escaping, um, like getting – didn't they – just the whole idea of Scotty being in there and them getting aboard to uh, take it out, to take out uh, Marcus. I think that I think I just felt like that. And if, if Khan had died in that ship, that would have been a bit more of a satisfying ending. If, we said this was really fast paced yeah. breakneck the whole way through, but I feel like they're trying to, and this happens a lot with modern cinema and or 2010 cinema is that you're just like, okay, we guys just got, we, we have a climax. Okay. We need climax number two. Now we got to keep going. Yeah. It's like, yep. just it, we're good. We're good. You satisfied. You don't have to like keep the beat the horse. Time and space means nothing in these movies because, like, <laughs> Scotty, I need you there now. He's literally there in the next scene. He's in Jupiter <laughs> in an hour. And yes, yeah, I realize right. it's the future, but they go from Klingon space to half a mile from Earth in 15 minutes. And no one ever says, they just say, go to warp. I'm like, wow, warp is really fast in these new movies. <laughs> but only yeah. going one direction. Yeah. It takes them like a day to get to Kronos and about uh, three minutes to get back. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> convenience. Shh, don't tell anyone that. <laughs> Scotty, <laughs> I need warp 15 the, uh, now. <laughs> the Enterprise moves at the speed of plot. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Exactly. I, I think it's also interesting that this, that this film, when you have the climax on climax on climax, I was kind of exhausted by the time we got to the fist fight. Like, Yes, I was I ready agree. for it to be over. I was right there with Kirk. I'm like, I feel exhausted. I feel like I just got brought back from the dead. That was tiring. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although I did love Carl Urban's line. Oh, please. You were only dead for like five minutes. <laughs> that, that did oh, seem pretty essentially Scotty to me. Uh, you mean, goodness, you um, mean McCoy-ish. not mccoy yeah. Okay, look, if I've gone with Sarah Connolly and I've gone with <laughs> Dr. Hammer, I'm, I'm going to do it. I may as well be consistent in not keeping things straight. There you go. Thank you it's for being comfortable now. enough to be yourself in front of us. Exactly. <laughs> okay. But he was also uh, the only one of us who remembered Thomas Harewood's name, so. That's yeah. true. Mm-hmm. I put point. it in the notes for a reason. <laughs> so, so speak, speaking of having the warp speed of whatever they need to to move the scene along, and the fact that they did, a, they went from the scene where the, the standoff between the two ships and uh, they both get disabled and the short fight and they both lose power, that was right by the moon. That's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. But then... Yeah. They started getting toward the Earth real fast. Oh yeah! All of a sudden, um, they're next why to didn't the Earth. they crash into the moon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Why, one, why didn't they crash to the moon? And even if they, it's the Earth's gravity that's pulling them toward the Earth. Um, doesn't it usually take us a few days to get to the moon? <laughs> 
I've just been terrified that the moon is going to crash into the earth after this, like just drop like a rock. Well, I mean, here, but here's the thing, though. They were going at warp speed. Wouldn't they still maintain inertia even after dropping out of warp? They'd still be going at a very fast speed toward the, their destination. Uh, but wouldn't yeah, the they moon don't have, have been that, left far behind them, though? No, they, yeah. they don't have that in Star Trek. When you stop, oh, you just oh. stop. Because, <laughs> that's, you know, that's the point. That that has been uh, if you're, if you're shown in several working, episodes. Come to a halt. <laughs> it's like when P Captain Picard says, dead stop. Like, okay, we're still going to be cruising along like warp three when we let, you know, no, they have the, the water surface. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, I, mean, the, I would think that those would yeah. be a of commission in this case but i i don't know Wait. yeah that's a great point i don't know why they no it's know. not a great point it is it is a terrible point but it is still something that happens in star trek it happens in, in all the, of our space sci-fi if you're in the middle of nowhere in space and there's not planets around for several days how do you know you're at a full stop there's nothing to compare it to all of a sudden, you like fly by a comet. Well, like, whoa, dude, is that how fast I'm going? Dude, you send that, that guy the out there with the camera who shot the Enterprise going to war from behind. <laughs> okay. You stick with him the back out cam. there. Yeah. Yeah. He said he can't be. Okay, Steve, and go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. When this film came out and its predecessor came out, there was a lot of discussion among the fans. Some loved it and others indicated that it didn't feel like Trek to them. So hmm. acknowledging that this is a subjective response and how how does this film strike you? Does it does it seem like Trek? Well, there are a couple of things that that uh, Star Trek really evokes in me, um, the things that I like about it. Uh, first and foremost, the entertaining interpersonal stuff, uh, the banter between the command staff, uh, Kirk, Spock, and uh, uh, McCoy, Scotty, that we mentioned in Retro Rewind. Uh, Data learning how to interact with his crewmates. Uh, Cisco dealing with being both a religious figure and superior officer to Kira, that kind of stuff. And I think Into Darkness really satisfies me here, that foundation of the, the Kirk-McCoy-Spock relationship. And then there's an extra layer of it with when they're unable to agree with one another and they're actually genuinely mad. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lot of what some people didn't like is they don't like to see mom and dad fight. And mm. when Kirk and Spock are at odds, that, that makes them uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> or how about Spock and Uhura? <laughs> I, I actually really liked that Uhura Spock dynamic because Same. this is the first time that we've seen two people working out a relationship between a human and Vulcan. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we see on screen, we had humans and Vulcans marrying in Star Trek, but I don't think that we ever had to see them work out this emotional, non-emotional relationship dynamic before. Yeah. And never did we see them trying to resolve interpersonal conflict. So I actually thought that was, that was a bonus. Well, and, there and was some of that in Enterprise. Not that a lot of people give Enterprise a lot of credence, but... Mm -hmm. I can and, always and, keep wondering about Pon Far. Yeah. I super don't wonder about that. I just. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that one got addressed pretty well in the original series episode where Spock almost kills Kirk. And oh, yeah. I think that's all we need to know. <laughs> right. I just watched that. <laughs> all right. Um, the second element I like is that regular puzzle posed by the prime directive, um, trying to resolve the conflict between our ethics and our morals. Uh, mm -hmm. What do we do when the rules say we should do one thing, but that's clearly the wrong thing? Mm. Uh, that's good. And again, Into Darkness kind of delivered on that, at least in the opening scene um, with the volcano. 
And then the speculative fiction part, um, where if we've got in, genetically engineered superhumans among us, how do we deal with that? What are the ramifications of having networked minds like the Borg? Mm. Um, and while Trek often handles things like that clumsily, it does still attempt them. Mm -hmm. um, and in that regard, I think that Into Darkness didn't really do much. It wasn't yeah. it was a very fine action yeah. movie, but it wasn't really a great science fiction movie. Yeah, one of the things that when people talk about Star Trek is that Star Trek usually is this, oh, it's a sci-fi show, but it's, uh, especially in the original series, um, and even the, I should say all the series, they deal with issues. Each episode is about an issue that's probably going on in modern times that um, that they handle in a, in a, with a slightly different um, view through the scientific sci-fi lens. And so this issue of like genetic human beings and um, let's just say for the example, taking the issue of what if blood really can bring people back to life a certain, what do you do with that? I think this movie, like you said, doesn't really feel Star Trek where it, it, it attacks an issue and explores its different outcomes per se. But on the other hand, it does feel like a star trek movie because it's a really fun action movie with <laughs> our fun love loving characters that we enjoy so much so yep. i i would say that in some for people who are looking for a hidden message behind it all which uh star trek usually does um this is very light if if they're at all but if you're looking for fun characters then yes well paul has adequately drawn my conclusion so Francisco, what were you trying to say? Uh, well, I was going to say something similar to that. I guess I'm sort of between uh, you, Brian, and Paul, where I feel like uh, in terms of characters, this definitely feels like Trek, as, like, especially if you're talking about uh, original series Trek, because I, I feel like Chris Pine does a great job as Kirk, uh, and Carl Urban does a great job as Bones, and Zachary Quinto does a great job as Spock. And uh, the whole cast of the that's brought from the original series into this one i feel like everyone does a great job in those roles uh and they feel like those original series characters so from a character standpoint yes this definitely feels like trek to me from a story standpoint yeah like what paul was just saying it, i i i've come to expect i think i have the majority of my star trek experience with next generation and where they did have a lot of uh sort of moral uh um, sort of morale, morality tales is probably a bit too simplistic, but they were looking at an issue and sort of like, here, here's this issue that we're taking care of in space, but now it gives you a, a better sense of how to think about it on your own. And this, this didn't seem to, this seemed to be more concerned with, uh, I mean, there was a sort of superhumans, but that that whole theme wasn't really played into. Then there was sort of uh, the m military industrial complex and it's trying mm. to satisfy its own needs versus the needs of the Starfleet. And that that was touched on, but that didn't really they didn't really explore it that much. It was just like uh, them bad, us good, boom. And it, it didn't it didn't go deeper <laughs> yeah. than that. So in terms of uh, the thematic the thematic elements of this from a story concept i feel like it wasn't very trek so and then special effects uh, definitely trek it felt like trek it felt like a much more updated version of trek yeah so mm -hmm. 
mostly, I guess I would say, but (laughs) (laughs) I would say that to me, it felt like new Trek, like Neo Trek. The older Trek movies, like the original series movies, they had the history and the weight of the original series behind them. And even Mm. uh, the Next Generation movies with Picard and that crew, they had seven seasons that let you all know who these people were, what this universe was like, how they handled things, um, what their morals, what their ethics were, and, and more. And we just get thrust into these new characters and into this new world. And... Because we, because we're getting them in the form of summer action movies, summer blockbuster movies. That's what they are. That's what they have to be. That's what the studio is aiming for them to be to make money. We only get a seasoning of what you would call classic Trek. We get the names. We get the characters. We get the terms and the and and the descriptions of the universe. Um, but when you get to like the nitty gritty, when you're looking for the weight of it all, I found that in some regard, that's a bit lacking. I did like of the three new Star Trek movies that we've gotten for the 2009 one into darkness and Star Trek beyond. I do think, and this is a personal opinion. I think into darkness is the weakest of the three. Mm -hmm. Um, because the 2009 one, I, I I loved it. I thought it did a wonderful job of re-imaging the universe of showing us these new characters in a, in a wonderful uh, and original way, but also but treating it very serious. Um, totally loved young Kirk jumping out of a car um, because his mom's boyfriend is a jerk. I loved young Spock. <laughs> I wish we had gotten a couple more young characters, but I understand the need mm-hmm. for time. Actually, I saw this movie in 2009 in Denver, Colorado with Brian. Um, where we drove yeah. all the way across town to the wrong theater. Oh, no. <laughs> but, but we still made it to the right theater in time. We just missed the credits. And we walked in for that opening scene of the USS Kelvin, the lightning storm in space, them being nice. attacked and Kirk being born all at the same time. And we were talking about opening scenes, like that opening little moment that kind of sets the tone for the movie. That took my breath away. I think that was yeah. the best opening scene of any movie that I've Absolutely. ever, ever no, you seen. You were just out of breath from having to run to the theater. <laughs> <laughs> I was yelling at my wife, I'm getting the seats, you get the popcorn and the pop! <laughs> and and I also really enjoyed Star Trek Beyond. It established new characters, new situations, without having to rely on anything of the old Trek. But Into Darkness, I think it makes it a little bit weaker, a little bit less like Trek, is because it is yeah. pulling from old Trek. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, mm. and that that weight, that yeah. that feeling of history just isn't there because in the Wrath of Khan, we know who Khan is. We know what he's capable of. We know these characters and how they've interacted with each other through all the seasons in the prior movies and these new movies. While they do a good job of showing us the Kirk McCoy banter, the Spock Uhura relationship, which I also enjoyed that dynamic, mm-hmm. um, we we've been fed so little of it. And it just it just made me hungry for more. I would love to see these characters and this universe and this enterprise in a TV show. Yeah. yeah in fact, yeah, that's yeah. that's one of its criticisms. And when it gets to Kirk's death scene, because we don't have a long history with these actors as these characters, it mm. feels cheap to me. It feels yeah. like, see, oh, they're just copying and they're I, and it, they, they flipped it to add a little bit of novelty to it, but they're it, just copying Wrath of Khan. It, yeah, so it doesn't have the weight for me. I uh, that's weird because I totally disagree on that. I feel like Kirk's death was actually a lot more 
significant. Well, you're wrong, sir. I, Get out. <laughs> well, I, well, I do. Here's the thing, though. I criticize it for pulling from Wrath of Khan. I also recognize that it was a well done scene. Oh, yeah. Because oh, yeah. I feel like I can criticize it, but also acknowledge how good it is at the same time. I thought it was eh, but I don't know One, if I can separate right. the two. It seems like maybe that scene might have had just a little bit more impact if it was suddenly the burden of command seemed to, to dawn on him. Is that, oh, I have been playing it fast and loose with people's lives. Mm. And now I've got to now I've got to make a responsible de- command decision yeah, and do I something that like- sacrifices me. Kirk's personal arc in that regard was kind of cut off. So yeah, um, I, I guess I kind of see that. It didn't seem like I, I, I can see what you guys are saying. That it didn't feel like he really got to the point of realizing that yeah, he he can't just count on his luck. It it, it would be nice if there's a bit more to foreshadow that this could this was a very real possibility if that's what you guys mean. Uh, but I don't know something about it. Maybe it's just Chris Pine's performance, but I definitely. Bought the emotional weight of it a lot more than it's I his did. Blue eyes, yeah. it's Leonard, it's, I guess so. Yeah, those those baby blues. I just oh, I can't look away. That, <laughs> that being said, though, you talked earlier about the casting choices of this movie. I think they nailed every single one, yes. and I have yeah. immensely enjoyed Chris Pine as Captain Kirk. I think he's yes, just yes, he's yes. knocked it out of the park. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I know not- there's a lot of will they, won't they about another Star Trek movie set in this Kelvin verse. I really hope they do. Just because I have, well, I have enjoyed the characters so much. As long as it's not yeah, Tarantino. The, <laughs> I'm into that. My, my only sort of, I, yes, I want that, but it'd be, I don't want them to have to recast Chekhov, and I don't know how they mm. continue without they Chekhov. They said they would. Sure. Yeah. So oh, did anybody just, else no, have? He like gets promoted mix. to the Reliant, and they bring back that three-legged, three-armed guy from the animated oh series gosh. to take his spot. Yes. yes. A really hard time when Kirk told him to put on a red shirt. Oh yeah. Oh, I didn't yeah. think about that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, did, is, is there not an assistant chief engineer? I mean, yeah. right. Well, what well, they should have done is when Kirk said, uh, "Put on a red shirt," and he should have said, "Well, yes, Captain, but turn around." <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing about this new timeline that that's just the way they seem to promote people. Kirk went you don't from have a to cadet go through training or yeah, anything. Or he was from cadet to captaining the starship in half an yeah. hour, and then he gets sent back to the academy, and then he gets promoted to first officer, and then they give Pike back the Enterprise, and so in this world, it makes perfect. sense sense that hey ensign you're going from manning the con to my chief engineer congratulations go fix things yeah (laughs) we're at war gentlemen war's right here with the klingon empire (laughs) that's my robocop impersonation excuse me (laughs) oh my gosh i just realized that admiral (laughs) really oh just now (laughs) no i'm just now realizing wait is he robocop He's yeah, Robocop. He's, yeah, he's Robocop. Oh, I'm on the same pacing as you, Paul. He's Buckaroo Bonsai? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Buckaroo Bonsai, wow. exactly. Admiral Marcus is wow. <laughs> yeah. For me, this whole question of does this feel like Trek? It, it's funny because I'm the one who raised the question, but I'm not one hundred percent sure as to what it means to feel like Trek or not feel yeah. like Trek. Because yeah. to me, all these various iterations of Trek feel different from each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. Like my favorite incarnation of Star Trek is Next Generation. I I love it. And no, this does not feel like Next Generation to me. Yeah. But the original series doesn't feel like Next Generation either. And right. there are 
episodes of DS9 that I just skip because I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to the mirror universe again. I just, yeah. I'm just not doing Amen it. to that. <laughs> but I mean, Star Trek has a lot of different flavors to it. And mm -hmm. this incarnation is a lot less focused on the moral dilemmas of next gen. Like if this was, if mm. this was next gen, we would have sat for the movie or at least for a good 43 minutes on, well, what does this mean to be reliant on this military industrial complex? And right. mm -hmm. should we should we use it or should we do away with it or should we give into it? Should we shackle it? Should we what should we do with it? But for the sci-fi adventure aspects of this, I mean, this I think Trek has room for a variety of these kinds of stories. Oh, mm -hmm. so you tricked totally. us? <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, I. I don't, I did, well, maybe I did. I wasn't meaning to, but it was, I mean, I, I think that there, what I think is there's enough room in Trek to have different kinds of stories. And if this feels like Trek for you, great. If it doesn't feel like Trek for you, then there's a reason why. And like, let's explore that. And, okay. you know, and then hope that, you know, we can, we can find more of, of those stories. Cause I, I, I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit shocked when I saw Picard. Because I'm like, hmm. finally, we're getting back to the universe that really felt like Trek to me. Like, oh, Picard no, is not, not Next anymore. Generation. Mm -mm. No, that's not it. This is this is a 2020 Star Trek, not a 1980 Star Trek. Okay. And then I enjoyed Picard, even if it felt different to me. It's less Next Generation and more uh, Game of Trek. Oh, yeah. gosh. <laughs> well, gentlemen, did we have any final thoughts on Star Trek Into Darkness? Many, many more thoughts, but none of them final. <laughs> well, we'll save I that for a different frontier. Think of any. Oh, it'll be our. Oh gosh. <laughs> it'll be our ongoing mission to explore strange new plot twists and new dynamics to boldly go where every podcaster has gone before. Nice. <laughs> well put, Mike. Well put. And on that note, I think that will lead us to our zombie apocalypse plan of the week. Mike, how are we going to stave off the undead this time? Oh, we are going with a desperate gambit. Uh, I think that what we need to do is practically carpet bomb the undead with seti eels. Ah. Yeah, if you watch The Wrath of Khan, you know those things that go inside and eat your brain? I mean... The earworms. Yeah. yeah. Oh, is that what they're called? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, if you, if you want more information about them, you should go check out the latest episode of the Retro Rewind podcast. <laughs> yes. Oh, if you, if I you've heard of it. do that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And for anybody who raises objections that this sounds as dangerous to us as it does to them, we have one advantage that Khan did not. And that is... You don't want to shoot the captain? I mean, well, <laughs> now maybe I do. He left Earth in 1996. He did not have ear pods. So if we just stick oh. those in, the, uh -huh. the SETI, there's no room for SETI eels and, and we're just cruising. So, you know, while you have those in... Just listen to more episodes of the Retro Rewind podcast and Geek at Arms. <laughs> Hooray. <laughs> Sounds like a win-win. Yeah. I can't lose. Well, I think that is going to wrap it up for this episode. I want to thank everyone for listening in. I especially want to thank Paul J. Powers and Francisco from the Retro Rewind podcast for joining this episode. Gentlemen, this has been a blast. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks Indeed, for having yeah. us on. And thanks for everyone for conveying their thoughts on oh, this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, before any more puns get warped our way, guys, where can we find you online? Uh, PaulJPowers.com. You can find me, Paul J. Powers. I'm there, and all my social media links are there. And you can even find links to the Retro Rewind podcast. 
What? Uh, speaking of the Retro Rewind Podcast, you can find that at RetroRewindPodcast.com. We're uh, on Twitter and Instagram at RetroRewindPod. You can join our Facebook group, which is do a search for Retro Rewind Podcast and on, for Facebook groups. Uh, if you want to find uh, contact me personally, uh, Francisco, you can find me on Instagram at FXRUIZX or on Twitter, FXRetro underscore. And you can find us at geekatarms.com, at facebook.com slash geekatarms. And Mike, what's our Twitter handle? On Twitter, you can find us as ArmsGeek. And finally, from all of us here, we want to say, be safe, be blessed, and be geeky. Thanks for listening to Geek at Arms. Music for this podcast was provided by Incompetech.com. For more, check us out at facebook.com forward slash geek at arms. Give us a like and maybe even subscribe to us on iTunes. That would be awesome.